Episode 229 of the Bitcoin Podcast, flagship show of the Bitcoin Podcast Network. And I am your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, Dimitric. Host number three, Dr. Corey Petty. Do you sound extra sultry there? You got into it. Yeah, I know. I just kind of felt like giving, giving the audience some, some velvety smooth voice today. And that's how I'm going to go this episode. It's going to be small. The whole thing? The whole thing? The whole episode, man. Like, should I go like me. Should I go like the opposite and just make it really extra annoying? Well, I enjoy <laughs> having listeners, so I'd say no. <laughs> but you're not Demetric Lamar today. Just Demetric. Just Demetric. All right. All right. What are we talking about? Okay. All right. So there was a there were two things in particular I wanted to discuss. I was thinking of the other day on my bidet. I had a bidet thought. And it uh, went a little something like this. I thought to myself, <clears throat> what if there didn't have to be one scaling solution? What if there could be multiple scaling solutions? That one. You know what I'm saying? Like the planeteers of scaling. They all come together and they form captain scaling. You know what I'm saying? The scale of uh, tears. I like where your mind's going, but isn't that how it already is work being planned out and working? I don't know. That's why it's a bidet thought. I mean, <laughs> let's, let's, All right. okay, so we have Lightning if Network, yeah. Segwit, which is one planeteer. Lightning Network is another side change, side change, side squeeze, which is another. <laughs> Uh, sharding is another, and then uh, of course increasing the block size would be the Gaia of the group. If you're unfamiliar with Gaia and the Planeteers, you're probably way young. What way if? Way old. Huh? What if we could squeeze more useful operations out of Ethereum's existing capacity? Instead, what does that mean? Instead of well. Uh, We'll go in the opposite direction of increasing the block size. Instead of increasing the capacity of the blockchain itself, what if we could do more things with the capacity we already have? Uh, the the base layer blockchain would be the same, but in practice, we would be able to do many more operations that are useful to people and applications like uh, transactions uh, or simple computations. Like you could do that already, right? Not so really. Ethereum. Oh. Ethereum already has a dynamic block size. It, it, it automatically adjusts itself based on the, the level of demand that's being, it's being hit by. All right. It now. moves associated with it. All right. So there's only, if you want to talk about the base layer, 
Um, there's two ways to increase the amount of transactions you can put or like the transactions per second. One, one is going to be to decrease the size of a single transaction. The other one is to increase the capacity of the total block size. So like the block size. So how many, so, and that, so either way, if you do either one of those two things, then you'll increase the number of transactions you can put into a single block, which gives you a higher transaction per second. Right? Does that make sense? Is that clear? I'm picking up what you're putting down, doctor. Cello? Um, yes, sir. Are you paying attention? Like, I am, yeah. I was the one that I was the one that brought this query on in the first place. All right. So now ideally you do you do both of those things simultaneously. And so that's that's it. That's that's the base layer. And so if you want to go to layer two solutions, which you do, is find ways and currently what basically all of the layer two solutions are, is finding ways to deposit a certain amount of stake into a transaction that tells people that's like, all right, we, we've, we've put this amount of money into a transaction that's on hold. So it's almost like escrow or a stake. And then we just trade a bunch of Bitcoin or Ethereum like transactions. They're basically valid transactions. We just don't submit them to the blockchain back and forth amongst all of the parties who were associated with that first transaction. It's like, let's say for instance, like uh, me and you want to like we want to take bets for the UFC fights and we're going to do it live. We're going to, we're going to make take bets live. So we start the UFC fights with a, it's like, you know, we're going to say, um, we're each going to put in 50 bucks each. We're ballers today. And then we start with the first fight. I I got this one. And you say, I got this one. And so we make that bet and then it's over. And then, so whoever wins that, say I win the first fight, then you pay me, You, you, you sign a transaction that sends me over, whatever we say is worth a single fight, say $5. And then, so that, that, what that does is update the balance between me and you. I now have $55, you have $45, but we're not submitting to the blockchain. So the blockchain just knows that there's a, there's some type of thing going on. That's a total of a hundred dollars. And then the next fight happens and we take that bet and we keep going and I keep winning because I always keep winning for UFC fights. Uh, Yeah. Eventually, we eventually get to the point at the end of the night, we've gone back and forth. You won one, I won nine. And then you basically, basically that, set, that gives me some amount and you some amount. And we both have a copy of all the transactions that we sent to each other. And say, all right, cool, we're done. And then we sub, one of us submits that to the, to the blockchain. And then it takes that escrow we initially put in and says, all right, disperse that total amount with what they just updated it to based on all the transactions they did off offline. And that's it. So it's two transactions according to the blockchain, but a bunch according to me and you. That's the whole idea. That's the general idea of off-chain solutions. And, but you still get the same level of security and finality? Yeah, sure. Well, it, it depends. So like with, with the first and last transactions, yes. The rest of it is up to us. And the systems mm-hmm. we build need to have some type of guarantees around them around passing around those transactions. But if, if you're passing around, say if we're talking about Bitcoin, if we're passing around Bitcoin transactions, then say like something happens to me and I stop making bets and I just like leave for the night without saying anything. Where you're like, well, I guess we're done. 
and you just you just you'll just post the last transaction that you had between us, which is the last good balance. And yeah, that's you that's all you're doing. On. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's basically the same. It's the exact same thing as using Bitcoin. Like Lightning Network is using Bitcoin. It's just not doing it all in the blockchain. It's just passing around transactions until you're done with whatever negotiation or deal you're working with, with whatever you're doing. And so like how you do that is dependent upon the relationship of the like negotiation and how you, like what business you're doing. You could, that can end up being thousands and thousands and thousands of transactions passed amongst a bunch of different parties. And at the end of the day, like you just settle on the blockchain once every month or something. And so thousands, thousands, thousands of transactions turn into basically a transaction a month or two transactions a month. That's Would scaling. Would you say the Lightning Network is Kwame or Mati? I don't know those references whatsoever. Oh, it's from the Planeteers, man. I'm still going with the same. <laughs> still going with the really, same analogy. Are you really going to use that voice this whole time? I'm going to try. <laughs> it reminds me of something that I can't figure out. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so the idea, what you put forth in the beginning can we have multiple blockchain solutions or like scaling solutions at the same time is absolutely. That's the whole point is to make each of these things simultaneously and event, and, and they all feed on each other. Right? So like, say for instance, we have a layer two solution like lightning network. That means we can only have open a certain number of channels with people. If we, if we say all, all Bitcoin transactions are channels. Now, if everyone's using lightning network, that still limits us to like the current transactional capacity of Bitcoin. So what we want to do is also increase the efficiency of every transaction with things like Snore signatures and bulletproofs and all kinds of cool stuff like that, that they're currently working on, as well as increase the block size. So you can increase the number of layer two type transactions you can do and also use layer one if you want to. Because it's still useful to use layer one. Say I want to just send someone $190 million for 10 cents. I can still do that using Bitcoin. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Is it Raiden like part of that too? Raiden is a version of Lightning Network that's on Ethereum. It's not compatible with the Lightning Network on Bitcoin. Oh. They haven't made a a uh, a Bitcoin compatible Lightning Network on Ethereum yet. I don't know why. Maybe it's just eventually. It's it's it's, it's still state channels though, and state channels networks. You should get. Uh, should get someone from there. Maybe like Joseph Poon should go and hashing it out so we can learn more about that. Poon does not deal with uh, Ethereum-based uh, scaling solutions. He, he's not part of Cloudflare? Sorry, 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 I was thinking of somebody else. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Poon definitely uh, okay. would know things like that. Yeah. We're working on some other people to kind of talk about some of those things. We've talked about the Beacon Chain and Ethereum 2.0, which is um, basically how they're scaling Layer 1 in terms of doing sharding and increasing the efficiency of the, of the, of the bottom layer. We need to talk about people who are like doing things like plasma and state channels and all that stuff. But like the, at the end of the day, all of these different things work well together. They all help each other. They all help the whole entire ecosystem scale. The state channels are good for a certain type of business or a certain type of interaction. Plasma could be good for other types of interactions. And the base layer stuff like Ethereum 2.0 is just, better for all of it because it scales the entire ecosystem, the entire Ethereum ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So then ultimately the answer is yes, there can be multiple scaling solutions because uh, they do exist currently. For shizzle. <laughs> I see what you did there. 
Um, okay. You sound like an oil tycoon. It's I don't know what it is. There's somebody <laughs> that he sounds like. Yeah, maybe it isn't like that. Like you sound like <clears throat> you sound like Mac from <clears throat> Always Sunny when he did blackface. Don't nobody sound like me but me, baby. Yeah, like that <laughs> that's what white people sound like when they do blackface, like Robert Downey Jr. and Tropic Thunder. No, he did a better job than that. Yeah, he did a he did a real good job. My man. Eh, maybe I take that back. You sound like him. <laughs> My man RDJ. <laughs> My man RDJ laid it down. Okay. Uh, I I can't do that anymore. Um, I can, but I just don't want to. So okay, that's a good point to stop. Um, but hey, hey, mechanical keyboard over there, chill yeah, out. Yeah, Captain Types McGee going down in the Sorry. background, <laughs> clicking the clacks. Um, um, I was replying to uh, Mr. Ken Bozak. He uh, gave us a little uh, some kind words. Nice. He said uh, he said that we are. Three weird dudes that talk about blockchain tech in a way that's educational but entertaining. Uh, you'll laugh, you'll FOMO, you'll learn a thing or two along the way. It's his favorite podcast. And uh, because they are on-ramping the community in a fun, engaging way, and he's honored to be a part of the of the family. 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 Um, so thank you, Ken. Thank you, Ken. That feels good. We should, we should like... Uh... Enlist someone to do the scale of tears in Captain Crypto. That'll be funny. We're the scale of tears. You can be one too. Scaling your blockchain, blockchain is the thing to do. To do. All oh right. To Fiverr, I go. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that writes itself. Cello's um, got the lyrics. Cello's got the lyrics. We, we <laughs> could have those lyrics written up by this evening. <laughs> me and me and Demetra came up with lyrics uh, on uh, T Pain's In Love with a Stripper. Oh my well, we god, never, that was gorgeous. And it was great. That, that was we during the Legends interview? Was that I think that was around the Legends interview we did. I think it was, yeah. That was the best Saturday afternoon we've ever had. <laughs> like, Y'all had some you... some interesting Saturday or not <laughs> or maybe maybe not interesting Saturdays. Well, yeah, usually it's like trying to get the show out, you know, but this one it was like Today, we just feel like remixing all of T-Pain's songs and for Bitcoin stuff. Do <laughs> you realize like, that we've yeah. basically given up every Saturday, or a good portion of every Saturday, for the past three and a half years? Yeah, we're, we're special individuals. That's what that means. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't I did go the math. Yeah. Huh? I did the math. Like, If we're like episode 229 and each episode takes about an hour of our day, let's just say it, we spent 230 hours... You know, pumping out episodes. That's you know how many days. Every episode is longer than an hour. Yeah. So even a content by itself is longer than an hour. Then you have all the all the scheduling and editing and graphics. Yeah, that's why I don't go into TGIF. I go with TGIS. Thank goodness it's Saturday. Yeah, because Sunday is like the only day that we don't have to do anything. I have shit to do, but it's not podcast stuff or work stuff. (laughs) <laughs> so all you listeners out there be thankful bitches yeah there's a in the show notes there's donation addresses you Are cheap there? ass oh yeah donation addresses in the show notes good job for the last 50 episodes we so haven't been doing that for a check, long time check our coinbase and see if anyone's actually given anything i think we get emails when nope. that happens they stopped doing that for some reason I'll check. Yeah, Coinbase uh, out of the blue stopped giving you emails whenever you had inputs or outputs from your wallet, which is strange. 
Maybe it's a strange. setting you just got to go in and set now. And they reset it accidentally. I bet their email servers are just blasting off, blasting off because they had so many users in Flutter. If I had um, to guess, that was the reason. They just turned it off by default. Yeah, uh, cool. Uh, let's skip the interview. We'll, we'll continue yeah, yeah, this, yeah. this so, nonsense um, afterwards. All right. Yeah, you want me to take it? All right. Uh, we're interviewing uh, one half of McKibben in Saucier and Chris Horlocker, uh, Equibit Group co-founders. Uh, if you're not familiar with Equibit, they are now the Equibit Group, and they're not just in Canada anymore. They now have an office in um, Zug, so they are a Swiss company, dual offices. So the last time we talked to them was episode 101. Their growth has exploded, and Equibit Group, what they're doing is applying blockchain tech to establish the world's first peer-to-peer equity and debt marketplace. So we get into the weeds about that and play a little catch-up. Catch up nice. with McKibbins and Saucy. Yay! McKibbins and Where is McKibbins? I, I imagine he he's somewhere. Set up shop in Austin. He set up shop in Austin. Yeah. Oh, shit. Stuff. He's down the street. Oh, I should hit him up. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, here it is. All right. This week we have the co founders of the Equibit Group, Christian making his. Third appearance on the show, Chris making his second, I believe. And the last time, Christian, the last time you were on, you said something that has stuck with me for like 200 episodes. And Dee can back me up on this when you said that we realized that we're in the first dual revolution since 1848. And I think what you meant was like the invention of the internet and the invention of cryptocurrency in one lifetime was like something rare. Do you recall that? Wow. Wow, mind blown. Yeah, you just <laughs> yeah, blew your own mind. <laughs> I have always, it's always stuck with me. Like, yep. wow, I'm you living in this, this time. You're actually quoting me? What? <laughs> yeah, and this was like, that was like episode 16 or something. So was it was just like, yeah. you know, before the, the hype cycles and the ICOs, you know, so that was just pure excitement for the future. And I don't know, that always stuck with me. Um, Chris, last time you were on, I think was episode 101 right when Equibit became the Equibit Group. So we have a lot of catching up to do. And for those that don't know you, I guess we could start off with some introductions and then we can kind of dive into what's changed since 2016. I mean, you guys are a Swiss company now, so there's there's a lot to unpack. Very nice, very nice. Uh, how do we start? Chris, you should go. Ah, yeah, well, we've been, uh, we've been very busy since 2016. Uh, but just a quick recap of... Uh, I guess my background, Uh, I've been in the crypto community since 2010, uh, studying it, advising various companies, including people like Anthony Diorio and Decentral, uh, as they built up in the very early days. So I've gotten to watch this industry uh, evolve over time into what it is today, and it's absolutely fascinating. And in 2010, I was working as the chief financial officer of the Canadian operations of Peter Schiff's uh, stock brokerage. And hmm. uh, that, was a, that was a great learning experience for me because I was front and center in the entire back office, which is a, the section of the business involved in uh, the administration work. And it's a very you know, opaque section of a business which is in an industry that is also very opaque. Very few people really understand how it all fits together and works and what happens after your trade is executed on an exchange. And 
that's basically what I was involved with on a day-to-day basis, making sure that all of the trades were settled, dealing with regulators, dealing with custodians and, and other businesses called transfer agents. And, you know, swirling around me at the same time was this Bitcoin thing. And looking at it, it looked to me that Bitcoin was one of the best settlement mechanisms ever created. And it it accomplishes what a multi-billion dollar industry does very, very quickly, very easily, very cheaply, securely. And it, it was an absolute revolution you know, in money, in intangible assets, and, and beyond, as we've seen. So in 2010, I was inspired to take this beyond just cryptocurrencies and into crypto securities. Because understanding what I did about money, money is just the debt of central banks, and debt is a security. So if we can build a blockchain that handles the debt of one company, why couldn't we build one that handles the debt of many companies, as well as their common shares and preferred shares and trust units, partnership units, fund units, the, the whole universe of equity and debt? Why, you know, why not? And that was the beginning of Equibits. And uh, we didn't have a name for it for years. We had designs well before that. And uh, it was those designs that attracted Christian Saucier into the fold. And so we met sometime around early 2015 and uh, very quickly joined forces in in this project. And we started it in Toronto because that's where I'm originally from. Uh, But over the years... Uh, Switzerland has really become the destination for crypto companies. The the some of the the, the top, I'd say I'd say almost half of what would be considered the top ten uh, or top twenty companies in crypto, they're all here. Uh, Bitmain is here, Shapeshift is here, Zappo is here, uh, the list goes on. And, and Equibit is now here. So just over the summer, we incorporated uh, an international parent company here in Switzerland. And I have just recently made the move here personally with my wife. And so we're enjoying Swiss chocolates and Swiss coffee and, and the lovely countryside out here. And we have become uh, a company member of a place called Crypto Valley Labs, where there's over a hundred other crypto companies here, all, oh, wow. all jockeying to be the next big thing. And they're supported by some very big organizations in Switzerland and internationally. Uh, the big Swiss telecom company here, Swisscom, is a big, uh, is, they, they have a big presence here. PricewaterhouseCoopers, lots of law firms, lots of communications companies and technology companies. Uh, they're, they're all in this space and it's, it's a big building out by the train station in a city called Zug, which is a lovely little town of about 30,000 people. And, uh, you know, don't let the numbers fool you, though. Um, it certainly has all of the amenities of, of a large metropolis. Or large metropolis. So uh, very, very happy to be here. And uh, things are moving very quickly. I just want to know when we're going to hear you yodel. 
I am. I, I I'll sign up for some lessons. <laughs> I want to know how often a day the Ricola guy. Have some leading hoses. Ricola. Ricola. Anyways, those commercials. They need to bring those commercials back. Well, it's been. It sounds like it's been an interesting ride. I can hear how excited you are about being in uh, Switzerland uh, and the tone of your voice. I, I didn't know Crypto Labs was that large. Crypto Valley Labs. That's a hundred plus companies. That's a lot. So. Uh, yeah, and and there's another one in Zurich that just started up called Trust Square uh, that you guys should check out as well. And they're jockey. They're they're aiming to be just as big or or even bigger. And I was just at their offices a couple of days ago to see what they have going on. And uh, there there's some interesting things happening over there as well. Nice. Well, it's your turn, uh, Mr. Saucier. All right. Well. Uh... When Chris uh, seduced me with his idea of uh, Equibit in uh, 2015, uh, yeah, I was myself a few uh, a few years into doing my own kind of crypto discovery, and uh, you know that, that's how I ended up on the podcast with you guys uh, some some time back. So so that was part of actually in 2015 specifically. That was a big year because a year that I started. Uh, with Equibit, I had a couple of other startups at that point going on too, and that's the year that I really quit my corporate job. Uh, you know, that took me a few years to accomplish. You know, trying to 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 wean yourself out of a you know, I was a middle manager, director level, you know, in in Fortune 500 type companies, and uh, you know, it comes with a lot of privileges and and and. and and uh, advantages and qualities of life that I didn't necessarily want to lose. But at the same time, I was so unhappy because I understood at that point, you know, how broken the world was and what crypto could do for it. And and I was like, but I, I serve no purpose working for, you know, some healthcare company, you know, one man out of a million that has barely any influence. So I said, oh, I got to go do my own thing. And, and as soon as you start looking for that, I mean, it doesn't happen automatically. You got to work at it, you know, for years. It's really hard. It's stressful. But when you start looking for it, these opportunities come up. And 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 Chris was one of those. I heard him on another podcast, and I was like, "Wow, that's that that's a great idea." And uh, you know, got connected, and uh, and you know, the rest, you know, it's, it's it's not quite history. There's been a lot of detours. Uh, Equibit was three years in the making. Well, we you know, we had to fund ourselves. We had to uh, survive those three years before, uh, you know, the ICO last year. So uh, so there was a you know there was a lot going on, and uh, and uh, this year at the beginning of the year, I finally joined the company as a full time employee and uh, relocated myself out of San Francisco, where I had been for a period of time for another crypto company down there, and uh, moved to uh, to Toronto. So I am now a, a happy Toronto uh, resident, although when I hear of Chris in uh, Switzerland, it sounds a little warmer than it was this morning. <laughs> so uh, mm. we'll see what uh, what next year has in store. But uh, it's been uh, it's been a pretty fantastic journey since our last uh, our last chat. Canada had some some great news a couple days ago. So I know yeah, I did. Probably extra happy, <laughs> more than most on a general level. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, well, 
I, I totally missed the joke. I'm bad at jokes. You missed man. the oh. <laughs> I'm trying to understand the, the joke still. I'm like, marijuana is legal across your whole country now. It's it a big deal down oh, here in oh, the States. Oh, no. yeah. We were looking up to you guys. They call like, it a multinational. <laughs> yeah. um, excuse me. Well, uh, Chris, you said something very interesting. Uh, you said money is the debt of central banks. And I, I, this is a two part question. One, how did you distill money? which can be incredibly complex, although it's simple, down to that definition. And how does that extend into what cryptocurrency means for, for people? I, I'm a chartered accountant in Canada. Uh, for the U.S. Uh, listeners out there, that's basically our version of a CPA. <coughs> and uh, so I, I look at what banks do in the purest sense just as an accounting system, because uh, that's basically what money helps society do is account for these ex these value exchanges. So when uh, when a central bank creates money, they make an entry on their books. And so all entries, according to accounting law, need to be balanced, meaning, they, uh, you add up all of the increases and decreases to the balances uh, on the books, and it always adds up to zero. So the way a bank creates money is by adding an asset to its balance sheet. Now, typically, these are government bonds, so it, it'll buy those, or it'll, in, in the case of certain other central banks, they're they're allowed to buy in the open market so they can buy the, the the debt or the shares of private companies um even uh so like the open market committee of the fed for example they their job is to decide when and what to buy in the the stock market or the bond market so the question then becomes okay well they're, they're buying this asset but what do they pay it with how do they pay for it and the way they pay for it is by printing up money. Now, there's a technical term for what that is. It's called a bank note. And a bank note is like any other kind of note. And in legal land or accounting land, a note is just a liability. It's, it's debt, literally. So it's basically like you go to a... Uh, what does everybody... Does it, do you guys uh, remember Dumb and Dumber? Oh yeah. yeah, it's like my favorite movie. <laughs> All right, so so it's it, they do what the two guys from Dumb and Dumber do. So they 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 pay for things by writing IOUs, and they tell the world that this is just as good as real money, and it sort of is, but only because it's deemed legal tender by the government. So. You know, they're making you an offer that the government will not allow you to refuse. So central banks are a special economic actor that can buy things without ever having to pay for it. Oh, that is speaking. amazing. So they can just go deeper and deeper. They buy everything on credit and they just go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the hole as they're as they continue accumulating assets. And the, the, the corresponding liability 
is what us poor schmucks use as money. Hmm. Uh, how about that for clarity? <laughs> and that clarity of vision is how. It's a great, it's know, a great way to go into the like weekend. Bit come about. <laughs> oh, oh, man. man. It's such a sad system. <laughs> Not Equibit, the money system. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, no, cryptocurrencies are beautiful because you have this uh, wonderful mechanism called proof of work. So not, not only does it cost energy and effort to create that money, but anybody in the world who, who comes into contact with that money can verify for themselves very easily that it's legitimate, that somebody did indeed work their butts off in order to get it. So, you know, I mean, this is why gold became money to begin with, because to have a gold coin was essentially proof that somebody somewhere slogged uh, away in the mines, digging up that ore and putting it into a furnace and purifying it and purifying it and purifying it and getting it into that standardized weight of this precious metal. So I, Chris, you still there? That was the punchline, man. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we are having some oh, man, this voice is not over the internet day. technology. Yeah, yeah, we're building a blockchain. <laughs> yeah, voice over internet protocol issues. Oh, let me exactly. mark this in the, did I did I cut out there? You did. Yeah, yeah, yeah you did. Oh, I'm glad you're back. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, the call came in and it must have muted this one. Ah. But uh, yeah, so I, I, I would just, uh, I just was saying that gold is the original proof of work. That is fantastic. Okay. <laughs> I was, I was making a note in the audio, the audio there. So right before you hit the punchline, the Inception blah, you dropped out. But um, so gold is the original proof of work. Got it. That's where. Yeah. We're wrap that up so okay there's a natural segue there what is both of your opinions on proof of stake being a viable solution to to, to scaling or just a, a different way to build a blockchain because they're having some issues robston tried to to transition to the constantinople on ethereum and it didn't do so hot and um I don't know. I, there's people with me with loud voices that are, are not exactly sold on proof of stake being, you know, something that could be operable. But before I throw like any bias into the conversation, what what is both of your opinions on that? <laughs> I know, Chris, you have a lot of opinions. So I... <laughs> if I may, I'll try to go in a little faster before you go. <laughs> yeah, why, why don't so, you go first and before I dive in? We'll give you one. the last word. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I uh, obviously proof of stake does not necessarily solve the ultimate problem of blockchains. Chris just talked about it, right? It's the proof of work that we, we want a system that shows that, you know, nobody has an unfair advantage on the network. And I don't know that proof of stake has, has achieved that. And I'm sure Chris will go into, into details with, uh, with, with, with that. My, my more optimistic tone maybe uh, about, uh, proof of stake, even tangles and all the other, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, schemes out there. I mean, we need to continue working on the Byzantine fault tolerance. 
you know, problem. <laughs> and, and, and blockchain does that. It's the only thing I think that does it today with proof of work. Proof of stake and other explorations are uh, important in my view because that's what they are. We're exploring how to improve the technology. But uh, when we had to make the decisions for Equibit on, you know, how, what, what, what platform, what technologies are we going to build this, you know, this beautiful vision on, uh, we had to take, you know, uh, make decisions with technologies that work, that are secure, that are proven. And, uh, and there, there's no way we could build what we're building here on, on Ethereum or on uh, EOS or other proof of stake type uh, systems. And not that these systems, again, are not valuable in, in, in their own research areas and in their own you know, business models, but, uh, but, but it, was, it was not the right technology for, uh, for Equibit. Now, Chris, uh, I'm sure you got some thoughts too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this is something I've been thinking about a long time and, and observing the various solutions that have emerged. And when I, when I think about the scaling problem, it's really a question of how fast are we willing to let the blockchain grow? Because whether your consensus system is proof of work or proof of stake, a transaction is still a certain amount of data that is going into the blockchain. And that's really what it all comes down to is how many of those are we going to let into our global database and at what interval? So I, I'm not particularly convinced of some of these proof of stake blockchains that claim to be able to process, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of transactions per second, because I got to wonder, you know, how is that going to impact the size of those blocks? Uh, so, it, I mean, it's very, it, it basically comes down to just increasing the block size. And you can do that on proof of work too. So, really, I think the question we need to ask uh, as users of blockchains is what transaction, what of, out of all of those transactions we do, which, one, which ones need to be written into a permanent publicly audible, auditable database? Because, <laughs> because, yeah, because not every single one of these transactions needs to be recorded, added to the record of history for all mankind. Uh, you know, your, your coffee purchase or, you know, the, the, you know, the dinner you had or the movie ticket you bought is not necessarily, <laughs> for, for lack of a better word, worthy of being in the blockchain, which is precious, which is a precious, scarce resource, literally. And uh, that's why I, I prefer second layer solutions like the Lightning Network. And we're slowly seeing that kind of come together now. And it looks very promising. And it actually mirrors the way the current financial system works too, because not every single transaction gets written into the record of history either. We have settlement layers and clearing layers and execution layers. And I don't think there's any reason to think that uh, blockchain would be any different from this. So we would have uh, a proof of work blockchain in the settlement layer of a multi-layered system. And uh, I don't 
really think proof of stake has what it takes to become the settlement layer, to be honest, uh, just because of the way proof of stake works. Because one of the principles in financial market infrastructure is settlement finality. And with proof of stake, your settlement is never final. In proof of work, you know, after a confirmation or two or three, it's pretty darn final. So I, I don't imagine if there was ever a, an ISO issued on financial market infrastructure or, or an update to it to incorporate blockchain that they would allow proof of stake to become part of that backbone of their industry. Chris, I think, I, I think that's a, that's a complicated uh, spot there that, that you're talking about with regards to uh, how blocks in a proof of work environment, you know, add to the finality of the transactions that are deeper in the blockchain and proof of stake doesn't provide that. Can you, can you explain that a little bit more? Because I, I know some people are going to have questions about that. Sure, sure. So it, with proof of work, it, the, the work being done to add each block is cumulative. So if somebody wanted to go into the system and try and reverse a transaction in a block, you know, let's say five blocks ago, well, that changes the hash of that block, which changes the hash of all of the blocks after it. Mm -hmm. And so, so in order for those revised blocks to be accepted, I would have to recompute all of the proof of work for all of those prior blocks. And that's a problem because there's an entire world of computers that are racing away building blocks out beyond, you know, building the current blocks. So how is little old me supposed to recompute those five prior blocks and catch up, uh, you know, catch back up to the system before they produce the sixth block? Uh, it, that's, that's just not feasible for any one actor on the network to do. Now, proof of stake works a little differently. So the way proof of stake works, in a nutshell, is it's essentially a voting system. And so the, these nodes that have staked coins or, or are foregoing the use of the coins they have are assumed to be more honest or more trustworthy than the nodes that don't. And so these nodes, every while, every once in, in whatever period that blockchain adds a block, get together and vote on what happened. It more, you know, to, to use a simplified term. And so they can vote to change the record of history if they wanted to. And so that's where I see you know, the, the, the big weakness in proof of stake. And I know that's not, I, I, there's more technical ways of explaining this, but that's, that's as simple as I'm able to put it. Uh, that proof of stake is a, I guess, a, a, a voting booth where you vote on what happened mm -hmm. versus, versus proof of work, which is a ever accumulating pile of proof of what happens. Okay, that's a good explanation of both. Um, it's just been—it's going to be a rough transition to, pro to pure proof of stake. I do know that much, but yeah, I don't. I, yeah, now I that's wanna... not to say—it's not to say proof of stake doesn't have a place. There's certainly lots of systems exactly. where it makes 
where it makes absolute sense to use proof of stake. I I lean away using proof of stake for financial systems uh, because of the settlement finality issue, but also because it incentivizes you to not use the system uh, because everybody's just staking coins to earn more coins. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Shallow. You. <laughs> Well, I wanted to talk about using blockchain initiatives to focus on capital markets um, that are leveraging like smart contracts, Ethereum smart contracts. Well, what were some of the issues that you guys faced choosing to go down this route over building a dedicated blockchain? Because I know you guys forked the Bitcoin <laughs> blockchain to build um, a public blockchain for capital markets. Yeah, I mean, to when 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 we were trying to decide, you know, what technology we were going to use, Bitcoin was. You know, it still is obviously the most mature blockchain out there. So you, you, you look at the various technologies and for some of the reasons that Chris just mentioned with regard to proof of stake, you know, we, we didn't go down that path. Uh, Ethereum was uh, uh, another uh, conversation that, that we had to have and, and we decided not to do it. Uh, it, it, it again, it's a good blockchain. It does uh, you know, a million things that you know you cannot do on other blockchains, obviously, with its uh, Turing completeness and all that. But but for us, uh, you know, adding a layer, you know, we you know we need a protocol level you know solution that was part of what you know Equibit you know provides as a public uh, you know protocol for the for, for securities and capital markets. So to keep it at the protocol level. We couldn't go and build on another protocol, which, you know, when when you start looking under the hood, uh, that there's a lot of complicated uh, questions with regards to the future of Ethereum, <laughs> and 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 so these questions are unrelated to uh, you know the the needs and the uh, the problems that we we have in the capital markets today, and therefore we don't want to add problems to capital capital markets. We want to solve problems with. Uh, you know the way capital markets are run, and to do that, uh, we really need low-level, good protocols that are you know ob- objectively open-source, and and you know you can audit simply you know this protocol. You can compare with Bitcoin that has also a lot of eyes on it. So again, you see this this proof of work you know at the social level that builds up, and the trust that we have in these lines of code. Is is tremendously important, and and uh, we we had to go all the way down to the low level, knowing that of course now the challenge is we gotta go build, uh, you know, the mining you know community that will provide all this proof, and so that that's definitely a a, a very difficult and not a, an easy task to uh, to 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 ignore, but it's a necessary task if we are to have uh, a good decentralized ledger for capital markets one day. Yeah, it, it was also a matter of safety and stability for the industry because we, we were talking about something that could be the storehouse of many, you know, tens, hundreds of trillions of dollars. And you don't necessarily want to expose that to the success or failure of some other system, which is bringing in, uh, is constantly bringing in applications that are completely unrelated to your use case so you know could you imagine if uh let's say a stock exchange is using a smart contract for its trade executions and then all of a sudden 
you know, the next crypto kitties hits and gums up your whole operation. <laughs> you said crypto kitties before I did. <laughs> Usually I bring it up first, but <laughs> so that that was the thing. So it, it, it's you know having a having a crypto securities or a security token system built on, on a smart contract platform means you're constantly exposed to the unknown, uh, unknown applications and unknown use cases. Things can come along that can harm the ability of your own contract to successfully operate, which could mean, which could mean that people lose a lot of money uh, because something happened and they're not able to get their job executed by the system in time. So, the, the financial industry is notorious for not sharing, <laughs> I'll just say. So the, a dedicated system that's custom built uh, was, as far as we're concerned, the only way to go. Mm-hmm. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm curious, how does it, when you, um, so, so one thing that I've been curious of this entire year since I noticed how heavy-handed and how it affects markets is um, the regulation factor. Like SEC is just, it seems like they're so mafioso with everything that they do in the States. And so if you're building a decentralized securities platform, like there's equivalents of the SEC uh, all around the globe. How are they, like what kind of conversations have you found yourself in with uh, regulators, if you have spoken to any, as, as, as to this being a future that could exist, because don't they need to, they need to have their paws in it, right? They need to at least see what's going on or understand it. So what, yeah. what kind of conversations do you run into? Conversations. You're so polite. I'll let Chris answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we do, we do have, have uh, a no action letter from our home regulator here in Switzerland. So that's, uh, that is a letter we got from them explaining their understanding of what Equibit is and what the, the cryptocurrency of the system is. And so Equibits are officially classified by the Swiss regulator as a utility token, uh, meaning that they are a way of accessing a public utility, which is a great definition as far as I'm concerned for what a cryptocurrency is. It is a great definition. That's the best definition I've heard all year. Okay, go on. Go on. Sorry. I didn't yeah. hear that. No problem. No problem. So that gives us uh, enormous leeway to operate here in Switzerland. So essentially, though, Equibit itself is not a business or entity. It is just a communication system that is used by the organizations and businesses that these regulators regulate. Uh, so if you're an issuer using Equibit, you're still subject to all of the same laws and regulations in, in your home jurisdiction or wherever you're issuing into. If you're a brokerage or a bank using it, you're still under those regulations. It really, you know, blockchains do not solve legal problems. They solve technical problems. The way you solve legal problems is through lobbyists and, and, and uh, congressmen. And that's pretty much the only way to solve it. So, so Equibit is not an intermediary. It is removing intermediaries, specifically custodians and transfer agents. 
And this is the layer of the industry that is involved in the clearing and the settlements of securities, quadrillions upon quadrillions of dollars worth of value transfers every year. And they are fairly shielded, I'll say, from public view. The public typically deals with brokerages and exchanges, which are very much regulated because A, they're holding your money, and B, they know the state of the books on all of the assets. So they, they have inside information, which they're supposed to not act on. At least, you know, that's what the regulators tell them. So, I mean, that's why we have, you know, that's why those regulators step in is because sometimes if I know the book on a particular asset and I know where everyone's stop losses are, I can maybe give the market a nudge in a certain direction that will benefit me, but might be catastrophic for a number of other people. And so, you know, that's a, that's, that's, that's a big no, no, as far as the regulators are concerned, I think everybody would be concerned about that. So that's why exchanges and brokerages are regulated is because they know stuff that public doesn't and can act on it uh, for their benefits. So they are regulated into not doing those things. Equibit can't do anything on its own. It's just miners who say, yes, this transaction is valid or no, that transaction's not valid. And that's it. So it's not an intermediary. It's a communication system that people can use to deal with each other directly. Now we have something like this in the securities industry already. It's called over the counter, which is essentially where two traders uh, get together either face to face or over the phone and do a deal. And it doesn't, that information doesn't hit the exchange. It's totally private. And that is actually a very big market segment. Um, it's usually populated by accredited investors and institutions and investment banks and, and you know, all of those people. But it's nevertheless a huge portion of the industry uh, because the vast majority of companies are not on stock exchanges, first of all. And anytime there's a big deal involving you know, a large purchase of public shares, they usually want to do that trade off of the exchange as well because they don't want it to impact the price. So a lot of this stuff you know, a lot of these big trades and a lot and all of the private companies are traded in this way where the, the, you know, you may use a broker to help you find that buyer, but ultimately, uh, you know, again, only if you're using the broker, the broker is regulated, but individual owners of assets can still get together and sit across from the table from one another. And one person hands them a bunch of cash. And the other person signs over the share certificates and it's still completely legal to do that. You're not required to ever use a broker or use an exchange. They just make it convenient. Mm. I think that that's a lot to digest for the listeners. And so basically what Equibit is doing is functioning as the, um, I guess, the clearing and the, the settlement for that over-the-counter, the over-the-counter aspect of trading uh, securities yeah yeah I, I i'm hesitant to say that equibit is a transfer agent or is a depository it, it it it's not that it it makes them unnecessary ah 
Hey, you remember your your grandfather, at least mine, had you know some shares on his wall. He used to frame it, right? My grandpa had a share of IBM, I think, from God knows when, and uh, it was on the wall in his house. And 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 I remember asking about it or something, and it's like it was a thing, right? This is my share; I have it. That doesn't quite happen anymore because that paper is now stored and really what gets transferred is just a recording of who owns that paper, but the paper never moves. Uh, Equibit, in a way, is better electronic paper, right? It's a, like, it's a blockchain that is a better record medium for these mm -hmm. securities. One that is public that cannot be cheated because the rules are the way the rules are in the protocol. And uh, and that's what it does. So in the same way, it's it, 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 that's how it disrupts, if you will, that market <laughs> by saying, hey, now we can do it online as easy as an email, right? <laughs> a deal, a private deal like Chris is describing peer to peer with peer to peer exchange of you know, Bitcoin payments using atomic swap with peer to peer exchange of securities using Equibit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You've touched on something there that in the industry is is called the the form of registration and there are two types there's the indirect form which is sometimes called sometimes called street name and that's what most of the public well all pretty much all of the publicly traded shares and and a lot of the the private shares too are traded as so the, the issuer will create a what's called a master security, which represents all or a huge block of all of the issued and outstanding shares of that company. And that's issued to a single organization. And that organization is usually the depository or the transfer agent. And they are the legal owners of all of the shares of that company. But then out the back end, they maintain a book uh, of what's called beneficial owners. And so they are, they are basically handled the same way a bank handles its depositors. The bank is the legal owner of the cash and the depositors are creditors. Mm -hmm. And in securities, the depository is the legal owner of the securities and the beneficial owners are its creditors but we're not denominating our liabilities in dollars and cents. We're denominating them in numbers of shares. Mm -hmm. So that's an indirect registration form. Now, in direct registration form, the company itself issues you the, the stock certificate. Now, you may get a piece of paper or they may just record it electronically in some database somewhere. Uh, uh, which is called a direct registration system. But direct registration is and has always been the safest form of holding your assets because if you hold it in direct form, no matter what happens to any intermediary, you are still the legal, uh, uh, legally recorded owner of those shares. So if we get another Bear Stearns or MF Global, and you've pulled out all of your securities and are holding them in direct form, you're safe. Uh, you, your, your ownership and your title to those securities is unassailable because the issuer knows who you are. Mm -hmm. it, it, you're not it's going the difference between having it's the difference between having your gold at home, your gold in a bank vault, and your gold in a certificate about gold in a bank vault somewhere you don't know. <laughs> you know? Exactly. You, 
You guys made me think of a, like a novel gift shop idea. Is you know how they have those uh photo out photo uh photo frames that have like photo digital photos that'll be a slideshow of people's family and things you could put it up in your office or on the wall. Yeah. And what if you had one of those, but it was your different digital assets that you own? So it's kind of like your dad, uh, Christian, who had frame <laughs> yeah, stocks. Yeah, yeah. You just have a frame that's just a slideshow of all your it's different. Just, it's just in crypto. It's all about who has the key, who yeah. owns the key, yeah. right? Where is it? So. It's just. It just displays a bunch of QR codes. Yep, that's it. And it's like, oh, I remember that QR code. That's one of my favorite QR codes. Anyways, <laughs> we uh, we got to wrap it up a little bit. I, this has been very information dense. I would love if you guys came back soon so we could continue the conversation. Sooner than two and a half years. Yeah, sooner <laughs> than two and a half years. Um, but we got to hit you with our trademark question again. And that is, in 10 words or less, can you describe blockchain? I remember what I said last time. Can I say that again? I don't know. Is that against the rules, Cello? Do we have rules? Um, you know, it's interesting if if that is if that I definition didn't... still applies to your train of thought to two and a half years later, then I think that's valid. I, I okay. think so. I think so. I still stand by it. Okay. Let it rip. It's the liberation of humanity from financial toil. Okay. Nice. That's under ten. Still applies. I, I, I still have my answer. I still stand by it, too. But <laughs> I'll, I'll call you out on something. You change your question. We did. Oh, yeah. we, the oh. question used to be describe what in, in eight words or less or something like that what Bitcoin is. Now in you ask words blockchain. or less Bitcoin. Yes, that is yeah. true. Sometimes we fluctuate. That's a major call uh, out. I got to do oh. a, bit of a uh. shout out to the maximalists out there. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, this is actually a good plug for was, our book in 10 words or less. So we did change the question. Uh, that's a that's a major call out there. So. <laughs> Sorry, are we still recording? <laughs> no, we definitely are. It's okay. We we realized that we had to change the question to adapt to the consumers. Of course, that are consuming. Uh, no, no, no. I'm calling you out on it, but with a smile. Oh no, it is. <laughs> it's definitely something hey. we we realize, but. I think my answer last time, and I'll say it again if, if it's true that it was the same, but it's money by people for people. You know, and, and I don't mean to go to communists there, right? That's definitely not the idea there, but this is this is our money. And we finally figured out, right, a you know, a protocol where we, we can actually now define the unit of measure of value for ourselves and and, and make sure that it, it's treated fairly. So money by people for people. I like it. Well, I hate to end this great conversation uh, so abruptly. It was going well. We should probably, before you guys like get going on your days, let's try and schedule a comeback around and maybe we can have like a part two because I do enjoy the depth and, and how we were kind of explaining things to the listeners that may have not, may or may not have thought about things in those layers and that yeah. depth. I wanted to talk about you know the, the the minor side chats the the kind of the media platform side that you guys were building up. Uh, I wanted to talk about the philosophy behind the five tenets of Equibit. There's there's a lot from the cultural human side of the company that I would want to dive into next time. You guys are awesome. We're, we're we're coming back anytime. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'd love to. All right. Well, um, thank you guys. Thank you. We'll talk soon. And we're back. 
From McKibbin's house, yeah! <laughs> it wasn't McKibbin's, it was a whore locker. I just can't. I, I, it's so fun to say. It is. It is really fun. Saucier was there. I remember when the, we had them on the first time and we were just like, just so ecstatic with, with, with the names by themselves. Yeah. For some reason. And we came up with a buddy cop theme song. I'm going to try to see if I can find it. It's on this computer somewhere, but... I'm looking at our driveway for two years. Can't find it in a drive anywhere. Yeah, no, I know where it is. I just gotta stop being lazy about it. It's, it's. I know where it is. If you Um, find it, it'll, it'll be at the end of the episode, or you'll splice it here. Yeah, I'll. I'll, Maybe this will be here. I'll tag this. Cut it. Pause. (laughs) Pause. Pause. You don't have to say that. I can tag it in the software. Pause. On tonight's episode of McKibben and Saucier. <laughs> all right, all right. So, thank you for coming back after the roundtable, guys. Um, you know what we should do is mess with Joe and start talking extremely fast because he has this on one point four x and just that's you really, it. yeah. And it, he has special software that takes out the pauses and it speeds us up so that I guess we're still understandable. What pauses do we have? Well, all of the pauses. Sometimes okay. we pause. So it's just so he has no time to wait. So it's like just yeah, man. Uh, who was it? Um, Joe's about his fucking business. We had a show that was overly produced. Was it was it Evan's show where there was no breaks? I forgot whose show it was, and it was just Evan. One- Evan took out a lot of the breaks. Yeah, so that's how he likes to listen to his show, like just one person yeah. talking after the other. A lot of people like that. Yeah, a lot of people do. That's why that that app is popular. Are you purposefully trying to make sure there's no pauses? No. Uh, I thought you were purposefully trying to make sure there were no pauses a second ago. Hey guys, I got, I got something I want to talk about. Okay. There, that, that was for Joe. Oh, the pause? <laughs> <laughs> Suck it. Good pause. Before oh, I bring up our other talking point, Chell, you know Soul Calibur 6 came out on Friday. Yes, I do. I do. You know we that's part of the office rules is that now our discrepancies have to be solved with Soul Calibur battles. So I'll, I'll pick it up when we get back from Prague, you and me. Right. And then if there's ever a disagreement, we'll Twitch scream it. We'll call yeah. it uh, TBP Disagreements. That'll be we'll, the channel name. Hell Do yes, we'll Twitch stream our disagreements. <laughs> can we'll we like, can we have the podcast uh, subsidize me um, a whole gaming system in this and this game so that I can participate in this? Uh, be nice. You know, I think is I think that'd be worth it. We should try and set all this shit up. We'll talk about this in yeah. Prague. Sorry, but audience, listen, we want to talk about some shit. Uh, yep. <laughs> we want to talk about. I thought. That it'd be interesting if a current app could transition to adapt. Would they do that? Would it even help with what they're doing? And I thought of the first, the reason I thought of this is because I was reading an article about how much money Facebook spends on storage, which is a ton. And they're, they're like one of the highest purchasers of Blu-ray DVDs because they're saving everyone's digital life onto Blu-rays. And they just have these just, just ridiculous amounts you know why money. they use Blu-rays? Huh? 
Do you know why Blu-rays are used? Because they hold a lot of things. For a long period of time. For a long period of time. HD DVDs didn't do that? Nah, it's about the same, but you too, know. Soon. <laughs> too soon. Oh, too it's, soon. It's because any other medium uh, is more volatile over a long period of time. So you can't like store things on a hard drive and then set the hard drive down for a long period of time because eventually that hard drive will go bad. Blu-ray DVDs don't suffer that type of uh, like degradation over time. So they last like more like 50 to 100 years versus like 10. Oh, yeah. what's, the, what's the degradation on a DVD? Same. Okay. Just Blu-rays can store a lot more. Interesting. Mm. That's why all my mixtapes from high school still work in my CD player. Yeah, that, that's that's why. <laughs> and um, why the flat, some flash drives are like you know, uh, oh, what did you what do we used to have that was flash that we do to have you sitting around? I don't think we have anything. How many of you guys have access to a jazz drive? Raise your hand. Ooh. I had a jazz drive. I don't have one now. You still have one? Yeah. Well, my pops has three. That doesn't he, count. Your pops has. My like pops a, is two hours down the road. I'll just go snag a jazz drive if I want. He's like really a. Want he's to. like a computer doomsday prepper. Yeah. He had laser discs when still nobody has laser discs. I was there during the day. I had to see. This was the probably one of the. Now this all just rushed back from my childhood. I witnessed this man purchase a $400 four-speed CD-ROM <laughs> and then try to explain it to his wife, my mother, why he needed a four-speed CD-ROM. $400. $400. It was the latest shit. He was like, this is going to solve everything. And I was like, why do we need it? Like, <laughs> what, what are you going to do with that? I got cool video games from him, so I didn't really, really. Yeah, same reason he needs a vertical screen to play Ace Combat all day. He just do it. <laughs> No questions asked. Um, Early adopters. That's early adopters right there. Doing a bunch of dumb shit for apparently no reason that ends up pushing the whole space forward. The pops has four screens to run Excel spreadsheets. That's how you live. Say what you will about Ronnie Ferguson, but he is an early adopter, and there's not too many early adopters in Hawker Heights, Texas. That's very true. That's very true. So, Um, apps adapt. Yeah, app adapt. And uh, Facebook, they're storing all this information, and they have to pay for that. And I was like, well, what if they just, like, didn't have to pay for it? What if there's a decentralized thing they could store a little bit of everybody's information? Somebody's going to pay for it. Yeah, somebody's going to pay for it. But if you could, like, take the cost and peanut butter spread that shit across the globe because it would be decentralized storage applications. Facebook will still be – okay, there's two ways in which this can happen. Uh, kind of in terms of like going from app to dap. One Spread is on. one is like currently they probably use one or two services for that infrastructure to store all of this media. And it's going to be like cloud infrastructure, right? They're not doing it themselves. Right. Um, and that, that's not taking into account like Blu-rays, which is hard backup. Uh, and so we can do decentralized storage in which Facebook still pays for it. But the people who earn all that money are the people who are just running the decentralized storage platform. So we talk about IPFS or storage, 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 or SIA or one of that one of those decentralized file storage platforms that has an incentivization layer. The people who run that software on their own computer end up getting paid by whoever stores shit on their computer, but they don't know what it is, so they can't like hack it or mm-hmm. anything like that. Uh, or the other way, um, which is 
the people own all of their information and Facebook becomes a medium that links it all together. And so the people earn the money for their own content that they store themselves. Right on. Which is exactly what like the new Tim Berners-Lee project. What is that? Um, Pods. Uh, what's the name of that thing that he's doing? He came out with that new thing that's basically like a way to link the internet and allow is people to store. The U-Pod instead of the no. iPod? Oh. No. Tim Berners-Lee is the so-called founder of the internet. Uh, and he's come out recently with a new platform, like more public. He's been doing it for a while now. That is exactly that. It's just a way to link allow people to store their own information and maintain um, the rights to it, privacy about it, and then grant access to it. And then all of the services that build on top of that are just like basically linking things. Mm -hmm. I think I saw that guy's article where it was like, they could do so many more transactions than anything ever. And he invented the internet. So he would know. It's not blockchain. It's, it's, it's it's something it's actually, I was talking to them about it and he said like something like IPFS would be the back end for it. Like you could actually like implement IPFS to the back end of it. So people store their pods on IPFS and then manage the permissions around it for other people to access that information. Because if you think about like data and then access to data, it's, it's like a stack in which you have a place where the physical media sits or like, sorry, the digital media sits. And that's, what you would associate with what what's on your hard drive or like a cloud storage or Facebook. They have physical media and cloud servers where they store all their shit. Then you have access rights. So like who's managing the permissions to access those things. Mm -hmm. Then you have applications who then access those things and serve it to the people who have access to it. So like, that's like, the web page in which you're clicking on Facebook things. And it's like, okay, I want to click on this. It opens up a picture and it shows like who's, who's seen this and who's tagged with it and all that nonsense. Mm. So like how you break that apart in terms of like making a DAP is dependent on how you want to do it and how you end up doing it has different consequences on who gets paid for it or how efficient it is or where the decentralization lies. Cause like decentralization isn't just one thing. It's a lot of things in a lot of different ways. It just depends on what you're asking about. Hmm. You're going to decentralize the, the access rights. Are you going to decentralize the storage? Are you going to decentralize like the, the, the front end? Are you like, I don't know. What do you, what are you doing? And so the, the, the concept of taking an app to adapt is certainly something that can happen, but it depends on, what part of that application they want to decentralize and if that makes any sense whatsoever. Hmm. Now, when I noticed lately, we don't talk about like the, the money aspect of it seems like it's going, it's fading. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't know. It's, it's maybe not fading. It's just like the ICO boom was like tokenize everything. It took a lot of energy out of the system. It was like a shiny carrot that dangled in front of everyone's face. And now that the carrot's gone, everybody's doing that. John Travolta confused, like looking around, you know, you know, that John yeah, Travolta come out of the closet. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. That gif. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I feel like the whole industry is doing as a whole. And I just hope that's, you know, some of the, the zealousness. Is it zealousness or zealousy? I, I don't know. I would say it's zealousness. The, the zealots out there? Yeah, zealots have quieted 
but that same energy can still perpetuate. Well, yeah, I think I think it's just going to be one of those things that like one of those ICOs or a few of those ICOs are going to have a good use token, a good use for their token. And it's going to be like, hey, that thing we came up with, it turns out it actually works because uh, we built a system and people are using it and the economics of it will work out. But a lot of them are like, oh, what we tried isn't going to work. And so, sorry. Mm. And I don't think it's been enough time. I mean, look at status, right? They're, they're a good example. They got a bunch of money early. And it's been incredibly difficult to come out with what they promised because they had like our ambitions were really high. And then how you do these things, how you go about taking the ambitions and putting it into a, a, a workable product with all of the people associated in that company is, is a difficult thing to do. And I think every single one of the, of the companies that made a bunch of money is in the same thing. of like, Oh, how do we do what we wanted to do? Because like we're trying it. And it's not as easy as you thought it was. Hmm. It's an interesting time in the space. I, yeah. I just thought it'd be interesting if, if dApps could ever, sorry, if apps could transition to dApps and why would they and would they need to, I, I imagine maybe when this thing is all, when this, stuff is a little bit more concrete in how it functions and the utility that it offers. Yes. But, um, I don't know. It was just a bidet thought. I have a bold prediction that, uh, 15 years, everything will be decentralized. Captain dogs over there. I think that, um, unless you're a doctor, uh, or like a lawyer, um, nobody's going to work anymore and driving. All of the old office buildings will be turned into emergency care clinics, and everybody will be working from home. Nah, I bet they're all going to be like co-working spaces. <laughs> <That's> so absolutist. <laughs> all going to be co-working spaces. Or that. Yeah, it's funny because I, uh, I think it was Lucian, it's, uh, or I think it was JT, one of them. Uh, and I know what he means. He, he said he's been working from home so long that his social skills are starting to go. And I realized like, it's been like three weeks and the only person I've talked to is like my three-year-old. So when I went to, I visited the Steam offices and like I was interacting with people and I was like, oh, this is this is kind of what it feels like to socialize. And I've, I've been working from, Corey, you might, you, you might feel this. I don't know, but you did have a coworker stay with you. But do you kind of feel that way sometimes? Oh, or, yeah. 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 In fact, that was actually a big problem uh, for Erin when we were in Brazil is because she didn't interact with people. She yeah. just stayed home. And she's like, she's she became this like, hermit that didn't want to go out and it like only exacerbated the issues of her losing social skills. And I can see it happening to me because I, I mean, granted I, t- I talk with people every day, all day, almost in terms of like meetings and shit like that, but it's not the same as like going out and socializing. So like going out and going to meetups, which I do, and then going to conferences, which, which we're going to helps that type of thing. And it gets you, I think gets you a little more amped or excited and brings back a little bit of that, of that like initial, exuberance that we felt when we first got into this space because now it's 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 a job yeah i I saw taylor's husband say like he doesn't want to leave the house (laughs) and then co-founder of your company was like i'm the same i don't hate the world it's more like i know what's out there and i've had enough like when you're full after a buffet and i was like i get that i just don't think yeah maybe it's that whole like everyone's working from home and so like you just see all the bad because like say you spend a bunch of time on twitter guess what you're gonna see a bunch of garbage but if you go to meetups, you talk to people, it's way more fun. People are excited. Uh, it's that, that like 
somewhat pseudonymous screen of the internet turns people into shitheads. Yeah. Not in our Slack. Hey, plug. Hey, join the Slack. Let's 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 transition into into plugging our shit. Well, thank you guys for listening for another week, um, and we hope you tune in next week. Uh, tell your friends, tell your wives and your kids. Uh, if you allow cursing in your household, sometimes we curse. So there's that. But anyway, unless you're, unless you're listening to this episode like two years from now because you're going through our backlog and you just discovered us, you're late. <laughs> Catch up. Um, let's see. Plug the things. So, um, 10 shows. Uh, we have a show about the law and blockchain. We have a show called Dose of Ether, which focuses on Ethereum and its developments and its community. We have a show called the bullpen podcast, which is the crypto bully interviewing people that he looks up to in the space as he learns more about the space. It's like a audio biography i don't know maybe audio discovery self-discovery i don't know we'll think of the genre whatever um cory has hashing it out which is uh the most information dense show that you can come across in this space you will learn things from this show it is an audio book every week coming at you a new chapter of an audio book hell we might just make it a fucking audio book i'm pretty sure that could be easy to do right just put all of the audio in one spot and then slap book on it. Yep. And then <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, I saw a uh, a narrative that a developer posted saying that he wants to be blunt, and he says, "Put up or shut up." Ethereum is a permissionless, community-driven project, and they need far less complainers and far more builders. And that you haven't earned the right to gripe if you haven't contributed meaningfully to the project. So I feel like if you share that sentiment, then hashing it out would be a good way for you to contribute uh, to the project. Yeah, definitely. Let's see how others are contributing and figure out like yeah. things you may be interested in to figure out how to jump in. What else is going on? Uh, we <clears throat> Live streaming the Just the Headers was kind of fun. We might do that more frequently. If we do, uh, we'll be putting the Twitch link on Twitter and the Twitch link in our Slack. Um, I scratched that. The Twitch link will go in our slack so you gotta join our slack to get to that twitch live stream or subscribe on twitch yeah they got some mixed mixed reactions of course they got mixed reactions it was a shit show but it was (laughs) (laughs) i blame colin Corey. like colin had time to kill that night colin came in and derailed our entire show (laughs) with questions that he knew would just like get my add going um Anyways, uh, we have also the Bitcoin podcast, or sorry, medium.com slash Bitcoin podcast blog, where you could find writings from Colin, Corey, myself, Marcello soon. Um, JT has a uh, newsletter that goes up every week that essentially is the happenings in crypto. It's called A Week to Be in Crypto. Um, we got a book. We got a book coming out soon called In 10 Words or Less. Can you just, can you describe Bitcoin, blockchain, or Ethereum? Or is it Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain? Well, either way, like uh, Christian and Chris's answers like solidified why important this book is because the last time we asked them those questions <laughs> was literally years ago and they remembered. Yeah, that was actually kind of cool. Corey, you weren't there for that, but they remembered their answers. And Saucier called us out and he said, you guys have changed the question over the years. It used to be de- describe Bitcoin. 
and now you're asking different things. And we well, like, so has the space. The space has changed over the years. Good sir, I tip my cap. Yeah, they I thought they I thought had. like their answers haven't evolved, and they feel the same way, so they didn't change their answers. Yeah, well, good for them. It's good. Where you, stick, where you stick to your guns? I'm not that. I'm not that gung ho about sticking to my guns. <laughs> That's a lot of G U words. But anyways, uh, we do lots of things. <laughs> Go to the BitcoinPodcast.com, the BitcoinPodcast.network, or the BlockchainPodcast.com, uh, and uh, you can get to us. You guys got anything? Holla holla. Holla 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 holla. Oh, we're in Prague right now. You're not. Shout out to Zoe Saldana <laughs> <laughs> and Zazie Beats and Carla Lewis. Play the outro.